Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard. You're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcasts. My guest today is Marianne Hamilton. Marianne Hamilton grew up in Sacramento, California, attended the college in San Francisco Bay Area, and lived in Silicon Valley until she moved to St. George eight years ago. She's an award-winning journalist for 40 years, covered a wide range of topics, technology, food, wine, film, TV production, education, health and wellness, and active aging. Her move to um, SG was promoted, I'm sorry, prompted by her participation in the Huntsman World Senior Games, the world's largest multi-sport competition for athletes 50 plus. The games are held in SG each October and draw roughly 12,000 athletes. Since moving um, there, she has become a race director for the games, a role that she fulfilled at the national level for the National Senior Games. She's been a race walker for 20 years and has earned 43 gold medals in senior game competitions. Wow. That's a <laughs> lot of medals. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. That's that's the current amount. It may maybe the maybe the final amount. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Wow. So, and we actually met in Las Vegas. I was speaking there at a luncheon, Bruce Marin's celebrity uh, luncheon, and you were there with some other um, senior pageant queens. So not only are you an athlete, but you're a, a, a queen. So <laughs> I, I would just love, love to get into your story so people can know who you are and like, tell us how you started out and how you get to be doing what you're doing now. Thanks, Dr. Leonard. I'd be happy to. And it's, first of all, it's a real pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was wonderful meeting you and hearing you speak at, at Bruce's luncheon. Your, your presentation was fascinating, and uh, I just loved connecting with you. Um, indeed, I was there with the other ladies from the senior pageant group, um, which was sort of a long, circuitous route for me to get there. I've actually, as you noted in my bio, I've been a journalist my entire life, and I, I grew up um, about as far from pageantry as you could possibly imagine. I was a shy, nerdy bookworm and acne and glasses and 50 extra pounds and all that. And, you know, I'd never been to a pageant, much less been in one. I never just thought that was on my radar screen. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, over time, um, in my 40s, I decided I, I really didn't want to be, you know, that person anymore. And I, I started uh, jogging kind of slowly and then, uh, going a little faster. And as things played out, I ended up having some neck surgery. So I wasn't able to jog anymore. So I took up the sport of race walking and um, trained with uh, a couple of experts, a couple of Olympians and a, a guy who won a gold medal in the Pan Am games. And they helped me with my technique and uh, then took up that sport. And one night my brilliant husband, Doug, was looking for places where I could compete because there aren't that many race walking events <laughs> anywhere. It's a pretty, pretty esoteric sport. And uh, he was Googling race walking and up came something called the Huntsman World Senior Games. And even though I really kind of gagged on the word senior, <laughs> um, I said, well, okay, we definitely qualify. We're over 50. That's, that was the cutoff minimum age for the senior games. So we signed up and we competed in uh, 2012, I believe. And it was just, I'm sorry, 2011 in St. George, Utah. And we were living in the Bay Area at that time in California. <clears throat> and our experience was just absolutely 
superb. It, it just was going into a parallel universe with all these fit, happy, healthy people our age. I just thought, where you know, this is amazing. This is fabulous. And we wanted to come back. So we did uh, for several years. And in the third year, we decided to move to St. George permanently because it's just such a beautiful place. And um, it's a there's a very, very uh, strong ethic and culture of fitness and health here. Um, so, and, and incredible walking trails and hiking trails and people come here from all over the world for vacation. So we've been very, very happy. And uh, since moving here, I, a lot of other things have happened. I developed a, or started a new career as a fitness instructor, which was not something I ever anticipated. That's been really, really fun. I work primarily with seniors, which I, which I adore. And then through that, um, one day I heard about something called the Miss Senior Universe pageant, which who knew? <laughs> I, I ran into a lovely woman at uh, the National Senior Games and she was wearing a sash and crown and her sash said Miss Senior Utah. And I thought, oh, that's where I live. I'd like to find out about that. And we spoke briefly and then I ran into her again uh, at another event and she encouraged me to go onto the website and, and investigate. And I did. And I was really, really, really intrigued, but I thought, yeah, no, there's no way. <laughs> that's, that's not something I could do, but I really, you know, it kind of stuck in my brain. So uh, I did call the uh, pageant director, James Kimsey, and we had a great discussion and he was very encouraging. And he said, you know, check it out, you know, see what you think. So I did, I went online and I applied and I didn't tell my husband for about two months <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> I was sure I was sure he would think I had lost my senses completely. And so when I finally did, we were floating around the pool one night in the middle of the summer. And I said, you know, I've, I've got to tell you something. And he said, you're leaving me? What? <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. I, there's this thing. It's called the senior, Miss Senior Universe and blah, blah. And I got about a half a sentence out and he said, you have to do it. You have to do it. And he was so enthusiastic and so supportive. So um I entered that year in 2019 and I was horrible. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I, did, I did not do well. I, I, I well, you know, again, I, I had never been to a pageant before. I had no, no idea what to expect. And I, I froze up during my, my talent competition. Um, I have, I have no talent. I'm not a singer. I'm not a dancer. I'm not a performer. I don't play an instrument. And so, but I am a writer. So I had uh, said that I would like to write a poem about competing in a pageant for the first time, which I did. And um, I got through about a third of it. And then I had a senior moment. It just, oh, no. <laughs> it just went away. <laughs> it was gone. And so I sort of, all of a sudden they were playing the playoff music and I remembered the last line and said that and kind of slunk off the stage and it was really awful, but everybody was so lovely and, and so encouraging and so supportive and I made terrific friends. And so I thought, you know, perhaps I would do it again. Um, so then in uh, 2020, I didn't compete, but I went to Las Vegas to sort of help back backstage with the other ladies and, and they gave me a nice title, which was Senior Games Ambassador because of my connection with the Senior Games. So I've been doing a lot of work with the Senior Games uh, through that and all their parades and things. And then last year, because of COVID, uh, the pageant had to get pushed. So we ended up doing it in January of this year and I elected to compete again and I went home with this. <laughs> so. Yes. <laughs> and it looks perfect on you. It fits there we go. Okay. perfectly. Yes. Congratulations. So, it's thank gorgeous. you very much. I'm kind of it's it's uh it's big and heavy and it's it's very wonderful and I'm I'm just profoundly honored and and 
blown away completely. <laughs> so um, the thing about our pageant is that it's not what you would think of as a typical beauty, beauty pageant. It's, I mean, first of all, the women are all, all over 60. Um, it is not that we are parading around in swimsuits and high heels, which is really not a good idea, you know, at our age. And so, um, <laughs> we, are, we are instead celebrating women of a certain age who have made contributions to their communities and to society at large and, and just being very accomplished in the years they've had on this planet. We have um, my predecessor was mayor of a city in Washington, the state of Washington. We have um, a chancellor of a university. We have several ladies with PhDs and a, an attorney and a concert pianist and an opera singer. And they're all very, very, very accomplished as would be you know, appropriate after 60 years on the planet, 60 years plus on the planet. So it is really um, to, you know, our, our motto is embrace, encourage and empower. And it really is about doing that for both ourselves and for our sister queens, um, embracing who we are, encouraging each other, empowering each other to be the best we possibly can be at any age. And that really, really um, strikes a, a note with me because I feel very strongly about that and being fit and healthy, especially at any age. Yeah. Which is a long, long, long explanation, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. And you know, when I saw all of you, there were several of you there at the luncheon, right. and at my table, there was three of the older queens. One was 94, I think one was 94. 92, one was like 80-something. Mm -hmm. Actually, a couple of them were in their 80s. Yes, and, Ida, Clyda, and Marilyn, yes. Yes, and you know, <laughs> they looked beautiful, and they, it's not just the outside, though, the, there, you could just see the glow of them and the essence of who they are and mm -hmm. that's that why they were such a great representation it really is um senior pageantry people can laugh about it but it really is something you know we live in a society where women are kind of disposable after the age of 30. i mean we had the horrible horrible um uh, occurrence a couple of weeks ago of one of our um 30 year old beautiful senior queens i'm sorry 30 year old queens um, who jumped to her death at the age of 30 because she thought that she wasn't, you know, a value anymore. That's just devastating and tragic. I, I can't imagine being in that mind frame. So, um, you know, I just think it's really, really important that we celebrate who we are, for sure. Exactly. And um, just to kind of go back in the beginning here, where we first started. So you were a journalist for many years. Yes. Talk about that. What caused you to go into journalism and what did you love about it? What did you hate about it? What, <laughs> how, how did you like doing that? Um, it's something I'm still doing. Actually, I'm, I'm writing for three magazines here in St. George. Um, it was something that was maybe genetic. Uh, my mother actually was an, uh, a writer uh, when I was growing up. She wrote advertising copy for radio and television. And then when she was having all four kids, she stayed home and wrote for Ladies Home Journal and Seventeen and all those magazines of, of our era. And um, two of my three older brothers are also uh, once passed away, but they're all writers. And um, it just was something that it was really normal in my household. We played Scrabble, we played word games, we tried to outdo each other at night with one-liners, you know, and everybody was really, really, um, we loved words and wordplay. And I, I kind of thought that's how everybody's houses were. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd go to friends' houses and it wasn't really that way. Anyway, um, I've always, always loved writing. Um, I 
loved diagramming complex compound temp sentences when I was in elementary <laughs> school. The more elaborate, the better. Um, and I loved essays. I was not a good math student. That was a foreign language to me, but I always, you know, got the gold medal in English and whatever. And so I always wanted to channel that into a career in writing. And um, I worked for the state, which is what you do in Sacramento, California, when that's, which is where I grew up. Mm -hmm. um, you, you work for the government in some capacity. And uh, fortunately I had a, a boss who recognized that I, I liked to write and had some writing skills. So he let me write the in-house newsletter for the Department of Motor Vehicles mm -hmm. and where I worked. And um, from that, I, I was able to kind of parlay that over time into a, you know, a variety of writing samples and eventually go to a PR firm and, and go to work in writing copy for them. And then from there, I was able to sort of make a leap into uh, journalism. I went to work for the San Jose Film Commission, which was a really, it's a very cool uh, organization. There are film commissions throughout the world and they work with uh, film crews when they come to town to get permits and hire crew members and you know whatever's need in a local shoot and so uh, I worked for the film commission in San Jose and so I was sending in information about what local film crews were doing in the Bay Area or what commercial crews were doing and I had a byline in a couple of publications and all of a sudden people started calling me and saying oh I saw your piece and blah 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 could you please write this and pfft, my, uh, my career sort of took off that way in the early 80s, and, and I've been writing ever since and, and loving it. Wow. So if someone wanted to get into the journalism world now, like a younger person wanting to get in, um, how do they do that? I think the, the easiest way, not the easiest way, but the most common way now is that people have blogs. Um, and I want to be very careful and, and not cast dispersions on bloggers because you know many of them are really really wonderful and they're doing a fantastic job but i think the scariest phrase for me is citizen journalist because uh, you know there are a lot of people out there putting out a lot of information that isn't necessarily correct and and a lot of it's not very well written unfortunately um but that's a really good way to get uh writing samples together and you can take that eventually. Uh, and in most cases now, most publications want you to have a social media following. They want to have you, um, you know, being out there on every platform available. And so if you already have that um, and you have the ability to, to, you know, shoot some video and, and do TikTok stuff and all that, you know, all that, so much the better. Those are the kinds of things that are really, really important now, I think, in, in modern day journalism, which is very, very far removed from what I do, did when I was, you know, studying that and, and starting off in the business. It's a whole different exactly. world. <laughs> exactly. And like you said, the scary thing is people believe what they see in writing. Yes. They see yes. It in writing and they believe it, but that doesn't mean it's true. It has to be. It's, it's true. It's on print or it's on, I found it on Google. Oh my gosh. You know, it's, it is really, really horrifying. Well, you're, you're a doctor, you understand that. And um, I'm, profoundly concerned about our, our ability to differentiate between what's science and what's, you know, what's just craziness. But that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> so what makes a good or excellent piece of writing? I think it is uh, somebody who's, well, it's written by somebody, first of all, who has the journalistic you know, capability and, and no sentence structure and grammar and spelling and punctuation. That's hopefully a given. But also it has been um, not taken at face value. You, you research your subject matter or the person you're interviewing or the cause or whatever it is and, and try and present the most uh, fair 
I hate to say fair and balanced, but uh, fair and balanced um, uh, representation of what that particular point of view is or that particular subject is. Um, so, you know, you can interview somebody who's extremely passionate about what they have to say, and they could be in completely wrong. <laughs> and so um, it is up to, you know, the person writing the piece to do their homework and find out if indeed that is that is valid or is there an opposing point of view that, that perhaps bears, carries more weight. Um, I worked for a chain of newspapers in the Bay Area before we moved out here and, and my editor was very, very, um, you know, adamant that you don't just write a new story and that's it. You have to, you know, you have to do your homework and find out those sides. Fortunately, um, you know, there, there are good and bad things about living in the, in the digital age. You know, it used to be, you'd have to go to the library and go through the, you know, card files and find something in a book. Now, you know, two clicks, you can find, you know, abundant information, mm -hmm. but unfortunately a lot of it's really, really, you know, not factually correct. So you have to learn how to have critical thinking skills and, and differentiate, is this coming from, you know, the CDC or the NIH, or is this coming from Bob's blog, who was written by your neighbor's, you know, you know, gardener. And, that, and gardening is a wonderful, wonderful um, career, but perhaps you're not entirely qualified to make, you know, uh, scientific recommendations. So uh, it's really a uh, Part of being a good journalist is is having good uh, good judgment, I believe, and and figuring out when you're receiving the truth and 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 being able to get, and share that sharing that properly. If you don't mind, I need to get a sip of water here. One second. There we go. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, you know, I know that the writing, the body of the writing probably stays pretty similar, but. These days we're looking at videos and we watch them for five seconds. You know, we, have, <laughs> we have TikTok that we'll look at for three seconds. Exactly, so, exactly. Are you changing the way you are like, like doing the intro paragraph or something of the writing so you can actually get people to engage right away and actually want to read the article? That is um, that is the real dilemma, I think, with a lot of journalists now. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm old school. I love writing, you know, if... 3,000, 5,000 piece expository, you know, um, piece about whatever. Um, American culture has the attention span of a gnat now because of, <laughs> because of social media and, and uh, you know, the whole digital realm. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It, make, it makes, it forces writers to be more concise, to get to the heart of, of your issue or your point of view or whatever you're reporting on very, very, very quickly. But yes, we, um, at some level, there has, you know, it turns into clickbait, which is, I think, a really unfortunate kind of state of affairs. And, and uh, sometimes I just write something and let my editor put the headline on it and let them decide what's going to get the most eyeballs, um, if it's online versus in print. And it's a, just, it's a different way of doing business. You have to kind of realize that things are different. And yeah, <laughs> we're competing against a lot of, a lot of content out there. Yes. Yes. There's a lot more content. I mean, when I was yeah. growing up, I was a bookworm. I was just, well, I still have books everywhere. Mm -hmm. I've given away hundreds of books and I still have books everywhere, yes. but you know, a lot of people prefer to listen to their books now. So, you know, uh, my husband and I are driving to Tucson tomorrow for he's, he's doing a half marathon on the weekend and we love, love, love to download audiobooks when we're on road trips and mm -hmm. we listen to books or podcasts and I crochet blankets and it's all great. <laughs> 
So exactly. we, we listen to a lot of really wonderful stories that way. I, I was going to say also that uh, my friends now who are reporters, and I know a number of the local folks, um, aren't just writers. They are told, you know, here's your cell phone. This is what you're going to go out and take pictures with, or here's a small digital camera or something mm -hmm. to capture videos. Um, they really have to be, uh, you know, sort of a Renaissance person when they're out there in the field. It's not just taking a tablet and, and jotting notes anymore. It's a whole different, uh, whole different way of doing business. Exactly. When you talked about the, the marathon. So, you know, you said you went to speed walking because you, oh, know, you had a surgery. So, mm -hmm. but your husband was doing it with you. Um, initially, <laughs> we were, <laughs> he, oh, let's see. So, so what I, what I do is a sport of race walking, which is a crazy, it's that crazy one where your, your heel has to, and your toe or your toe has to be making contact with the ground at all time. And when your heel strikes the ground, your knee must be straight and it must remain straight as it passes underneath your body until your other heel strikes, which is what makes that weird hip hippie shake thing that looks just silly as can be. Um, and it, this is a, you know, sidebar. It started, it was an, an Olympic sport, but it started back in the in turn of the century with two guys I've told who were in a bar drinking, surprise. And one of them bet the other that he could walk faster than this one could run and blah, blah. And um, they, they came up with this outlandish, you know, uh, sport called race walking. Anyway, that was, that is the sport that I do. And um, when I met my husband in the year 2000, um, we started walking together and he thought he might try race walking. He also had a neck surgery a year after I met him and um, a similar neck surgery. He had three discs taken out and he had a metal plate put in his neck and it was a big, big deal. So he couldn't run for a while either. So we decided to race walk together. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a great idea for him. He doesn't have um, quite the flexibility to keep his knee straight. And so he uh, proceeded to get disqualified in a number of races. So um, in short order, he went back to jogging and he's back to running now. And even though in theory, he shouldn't be doing it, it, it seems to be fine. He's been doing it now for 20 years and he has had no you know, residual problems. So um, it's, it's great. So he's now... Um, he calls himself, you know, a long, slow marathoner, and he's doing a, um, a half marathon this weekend and an ultra marathon uh, in April, I believe, uh, which will be 36 miles. So, yeah, that's a lot of miles. It is a lot of miles, and he's he'll he'll be 72 this year, so it's kind of amazing. <laughs> and what made you decide to get so involved in the race walking, as far as becoming directors and? It just was one of those magic organic things. Um, we were competing here at the Huntsman World Senior Games in St. George for several years. And the first year that we competed, we met uh, the CEO, Kyle Case, who's just a wonderful, wonderful, lovely, um, supportive man. And he's not 50 yet, so he's not eligible to compete, but that's <laughs> happening in a couple of years. Um, and he just was so welcoming and warm and um, sort of welcomed us into the family. And um, we met the race directors, uh, Norman, Kathy, Frabel, and they welcomed us as well. And uh, within about two years, they said, hey, you know, we could use some help. How would you guys like to help us out? And we said, oh, okay. And um, so we did. And we became race directors as well. And that's just been 
so marvelous. Uh, being a part of that race walking and power walking community across the country and actually around the world has just been terrific. We have formed lifelong relationships and see people, even if we just see them every October, you pick right back up where you were before and it's just, it's lovely. And then um, through our work here in St. George with the Huntsman World Senior Games, uh, the National Race, National Senior Games folks um, asked us if we would also get involved. And in the meantime, uh, my husband and I had founded a, a nonprofit called the United States Power Walking Association. And um, the goal with that was to ask uh, the race directors throughout the US of the senior games to add power walking to their um, sports schedule. Um, as I mentioned, race walking, which is what I do, is, is more of a technical skill. Power walking is really just walk fast and don't run, you know, and it doesn't matter if you're, it don't, doesn't matter if your knees bent, just keep one foot on the ground at all times and just go as fast as you can. And it's, it's, it's a sport that anybody can do basically at any age. We have people who are in their 80s and 90s competing in power walking. And uh, it has really been a way to increase the number of athletes who can participate and compete in something and, and empower themselves to be a part of an athletic activity and, and maybe win some medals in the process. So it's been just fabulous to watch that take shape. And, and now actually through um, sort of talking to all these race directors nationwide, power walking is now kind of taking off across the US. So that's, that's exciting. Yes, well, congratulations on that. Thank that's you, thank feat. you. Thank you. So, yeah, and you yourself, 43 medals. So <laughs> I know you had great coaches because they were Olympic, you know, athletes, but there has to be a special kind of mindset to be able to win <laughs> over and over and over again. So how do you put your mind right when you're about to compete? It's, um, Dr. Leonard, it is really a... Uh, it's bizarre. <laughs> it is always, um, you know, butterfly time. I always have intestinal distress <laughs> before every race, you know, that's probably TMI, but oh, well, we are what we are. And um, every single one, every single time I think, oh my God, what am I doing? I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then when the gun goes off, that sort of competitive nature takes over. And I'm not really competitive in any other part of my life. I'm pretty easygoing and I love to watch other people do amazing things and, and more power to you. But for whatever reason, maybe because race walking is, is such a strange you know, sport and there are so few of us who are actually doing it, I really feel compelled to, to keep it, um, have it be sustainable and, and keep it moving forward. And so when the gun goes off, I just, um, I love it. I really do. And I, that's not true. I really hate it when I'm racing because it is, it is, it's hard. And, and I feel like, Oh my God, I can't breathe. And what am I going to do? And then when it's over, it's just, it's such a huge, huge, huge adrenaline rush. It really is even no matter whether, how I do in a race or not, it's just, you've done something amazing for your body and you've been out there with, with other people your age who are doing, giving it their all. And it's just this great, great, great sense of communal euphoria, euphoria. And I, I just love it all the time, every time. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering, you know, as we get older, a lot of times people say, well, you shouldn't be exercising as much, or you shouldn't be oh. exercising as hard. And you said, there's 80 year olds doing this. So my question is, how many days a week are you actually doing the race walking, like just getting ready for races? And should we limit what we're doing? Are we going to break things or? 
ourselves. Or... <laughs> okay, so let me ask. Let me answer the first part. I I walk much less than I used to because I am my second career as a fitness instructor. So I'm teaching classes several mornings a week now, um, at our aquatic center and another um, adult living facility. Um, so I don't have as much chance to walk as I used to. When I'm training, I'm still doing uh, two or three or four half marathons every year. I, I race walk them here in St. George or wherever we're competing. And so when I'm uh, getting ready for one of those races, I certainly amp up the mileage. But my typical um, loop is is a 10K, so, you know, 6.2 miles. So doubling that really isn't that much of a difficulty to get ready for a half marathon. It's, it's, it doesn't take that long. So I'm kind of always at that kind of level of fitness and also being a fitness instructor, I'm bouncing around and doing jumping jacks and burpees and all that kind of stuff, you know, several mornings a week. And some, one day I teach two classes in a row. So that's a pretty good workout two hours straight. Um, so I, I think I'm kind of at a baseline always, and, and I'll be 70 this year. And, um, I know that a lot of my peers maybe aren't necessarily doing that, but they can. And to answer the second part of your question, no, there's nothing in the world that says stop exercising. I mean, I was just reading some data, as a matter of fact, that um, for a speech I have to give. And, you know, every, the CDC, the National Institute of Health, um, Mayo Clinic, everybody that, you know, scientific experts say that we all need 150 hours of at least moderate exercise weekly which sounds like a lot, but that's really five days a week for half an hour. You know, we can do that. And that's brisk walking or that's, you know, active gardening or dancing or whatever it is that, that you know, floats your boat and feeds your soul. It doesn't have to be doing a marathon or a, or a triathlon or whatever. It can be, you know, walking in the pool quickly. It can be all kinds of things. And half an hour a day is really, really a minimal amount um, to stay healthy. And then you can ramp it up from there. And um, as, as I said, we have people who are in their 80s and 90s, and they may not be, you know, the fastest people out there, but they're out there. <laughs> and, and they're not getting injured, they're doing very, very well. And it, you know, their sense of empowerment and, and self worth is, is, through the roof, you know, it's, it's just, you, you can't top it when you watch them come over the finish line. And if somebody is 95 and they're the only person that shows up, they're going to get the gold medal that day. So <laughs> that's a pretty cool thing, you know, and that's, that's part of it. The older you get, um, if you just have to outlast your competitors <laughs> and you get more medals, that's great. It's great. <laughs> that is great. And, that, and it's true. I mean, I like to do CrossFit and you know, Ooh, that's, serious. that's serious. I feel like I'm tough, you know, <laughs> now, that's, but, I mean, I've I never tried good, that. I feel confident when I do that. I've never tried CrossFit. I've, I've watched a couple of, there was a cage next to the gym where I used to work out in California and I'd watch those people and think, holy smokes, they are crazy. Um, and I don't think I have the, the stamina for that, but who knows, maybe never, never say never. So my, 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 hat, my, my crown's off to you for that, for sure. Yes. Yes. And also I used to be in a uh, pool workout and I remember there was a few people there that, you know, one was um, badly injured and another guy, he had a cane and he could, I mean, when he was on land, he could just barely get exactly the pool with his cane. I mean, just struggling, but mm -hmm. he'd get in that water and I'm telling you, he was working out hard. 
well, that's that's what I teach is water aerobics, and I'm up on the deck on the concrete, and all the all the students are in the pool. And in our aerobics, I'm sorry, our aquatic center. Sometimes I have 50 people in the pool. It's crazy, and some of them, as you said, they come out with walkers or canes, and they're struggling. And you think, holy moly, how are they ever going to get through this? And they get in the water, and it's they're buoyant and they're they're happy and they feel supported and the water's warm and they just, it's its just miraculous to watch. And they do, I mean, there are some people there that have been coming there for 15, 20 years, five mornings a week. They are tough. And the classes that I teach are pretty tough. I don't really try and go easy because, oh, they're seniors, I have to do that. I, I make them move <laughs> and, and and most most of them do and they really really do they're not just hanging around you know yakking with each other i mean there's socialization for sure that's a big big aspect of it but they're there to move and um man they are tough and i have to believe their their cardiovascular systems are amazing they really are yeah and then what about when we get injuries like you said you had the neck injury and if i remember yeah you were also diagnosed with um cancer breast cancer so i'm sure there was um, times with that. So what do yeah. you do to overcome that? And how should we take care of ourselves when those things are happening? You know, I think um, I'll maybe use it, the breast cancer as an example, which was um, actually right after I competed in my first pageant, I, I knew there was something going on during the pageant, but I kind of pushed it off until afterwards. Um, I had found a lump. And so I was diagnosed in February of 2020, uh, just when everything was shutting down because of COVID. So that was an interesting time. Um, but I made a vow right away that I was not going to be a victim. And, and fortunately, my, my particular cancer was very early stage. It was stage one. They were able to get clean margins really easily through a lumpectomy. My lymph nodes were not involved, which was a, a huge blessing. Mm -hmm. So um, I just needed the lumpectomy and then radiation, and I was, I was good to go. And I made a real strong vow that I was going to continue to be as active as I possibly could as, as much as I was physically capable of. And so um, I would walk my usual trail every morning and then go change my clothes and take a shower and I take a shower and change my clothes and um, go to my radiation treatment at three o'clock every afternoon. And my husband took me to every single treatment and um, every single appointment and God love him for that. And um, I continued being active the entire time. And uh, two weeks after I finished, I did a half marathon <laughs> because <laughs> I, I wanted to celebrate. You know, I, I, I went out for a walk and I had my map, my walk on my you know, cell phone. And I thought I'd oh, I'll do eight miles. Eh, maybe I'll do 10. Oh, why not? I'll just do 13.1. And I did. And it was, it felt terrific. And it was such a celebration of, of what I had just finished. And, and so all of that said, I, my oncologist uh, told me that that attitude and that commitment to staying fit and active and healthy was really what got me through as easily as possible. It, it could have been, you know, maybe <laughs> more traumatic, but it, it gave me a way to focus on something else. Exactly. So yeah. if someone thinks they might have something like that, or if they're doing a self-examination, and they feel something, it's always Go. better just to check it out. Go, exactly. I'm, I'm a huge advocate, obviously, now for, for breast health and for women taking control of that. I, I didn't 
uh, go when I should have. And actually, when I finally called to get a mammogram, I was told, oh, you're on Medicare. It hasn't been a year since your last mammogram. You have to wait for a couple more months, which I should have, I should have, should have, should have, probably should have said, I'm sorry, but there's an issue here. Can you please see me now? But I waited another couple of months. And it's, fortunately, my, my, my tumor was very slow growing, but that could have been maybe not so good if I'd, if I'd waited. But in my case, it was okay. Thank goodness. So yes, uh, ladies, um, you know, if you see something or feel something, get in there because it doesn't have to be a death sentence and it can be dealt with. It's not a picnic, but you can deal with it pretty, pretty, you know, gracefully and easily compared to what the longer term um, impact would be. Exactly. So, you know, we've been talking about you kind of doing things with your husband and it seems to me that your husband is very supportive and helpful and, and um, you've been together like 20 years now. 22 so, years. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you find, how do you find a wonderful man? One that supports <laughs> you, you support him and you're actually still together after 20 years. We actually met online, believe it or not. Um, this was back in 2020. I'm sorry, 2000, excuse me, uh, 2000. And uh, he had just moved to the Bay Area from um, another city and I was there and I had been single for about five years and was, I was okay with that. I, I didn't think I was ever going to get, uh, you know, into another long-term relationship and I was totally comfortable with that. And uh, we met online. Uh, it took me about six months to agree to have a first date with him. <laughs> 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 I... Is is we've told our this story too many times, but long story short, he this was the very very beginning of what was then Matchmaker.com. It's now Match.com, mm -hmm. and um, if you sent in a digital picture, you could get like three months free. So uh, this was in the advent of digital cameras, and Doug had been at work, and somebody took a picture underneath fluorescent lights with a one megapixel camera, <laughs> and and he wasn't he wasn't smiling, and it wasn't a great picture. <laughs> He's a very <laughs> He's a very, very handsome man, but he just looked a little scary. And so we always, we always joke now that I saw him and thought he was an ax murderer. So, um, I just, I just, uh, and he would write these really, really articulate, funny, wonderful, wonderful messages. And I think, Oh, it's, Oh my God, it's the ax murderer. And I, I wouldn't go out with him for a number of months. And then finally, when I did, I, I saw him and I thought, Oh my gosh, why did I wait so long? And, and by and by the second date, I was I was totally in love, and that was that date never ended, and we've been together now for 22 years. So <laughs> it's kind of wonderful. And this year is our our 20th anniversary, which will be really really wonderful. Wow! So yeah. Now you have a new role. You have a crown on your head. You have a new role. What's your actual title? I am Miss Senior Universe. Mm -hmm. It is. Oh yes, right here. Oh, wow. What a beautiful, what do you, what do you call it? Sash. A, sash. 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 Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yes. Uh, so I have a new title and, and I am, um, in hopefully beginning to embark on a speaking career as, as you are as well. And, um, my goal is to connect with as many, particularly people of, of, of my colleagues, my age, to you know, share the message that uh, whatever the number is on your driver's license does not matter. It's it's how you think about yourself and and 
getting past those limitations that society puts on us, we can still be active, we can still be healthy, we can still get back to our communities. We have cumulative life experiences at this age that are incredible and invaluable. And people need to um, know that we have a lot to share. Um, again, you know, American society kind of believes that, you know, after 30, you know, we, we need to go away somewhere and sit in the Barca lounger and, and, you know, give up. And, and I, I don't believe that. Um, my life really began, I think in my fifties and it is just getting better and better every day. I'm excited to be turning 70. I get to be 70 this year. Yay. And, and I think, you know, certainly, you know, having, been through cancer gives you a different perspective on that. You, you really appreciate birthdays as the American Cancer Society says, but um, I think that the, you know, the best years are, are really ahead. And I, I want to be an advocate for that and, and share that message. Exactly. And um, if people wanted to um, connect with you either for speaking or if you can tell us, you know, I know you're doing things locally. Mm-hmm. So just kind of tell us, this is a place where you kind of go down the line okay, um, this is where you connect with me with the race walking. This is where my website or my whatever contact information you want to tell them and and how they can Mm -hmm. connect with you and what you're offering now. Sure. Um, I think the easiest way would be to connect through the Miss Senior Universe um, website. And I also have a Facebook page, which is um, Marianne Hamilton, Miss Senior Universe. And anybody is welcome to uh, DM me there. Uh, We also have the MissSeniorUniverse.org website, and there's a place for contacting us there. And um, you can reach me through our pageant director and he'll relay the information. Um, and then of course, senior games, uh, seniorgames.net. That's, that's the website. Um, love, love, love to hear from all of our, uh, athletes and would be athletes and interested athletes. And, um, our next, uh, events will be in October of this year. They're always the first two weeks of October. We typically have, um, close to about 12,000 athletes in, in St. George. And, um, Again, we have about 35 different sports, everything from triathlon and half marathon to lawn bowling and uh, cowboy shooting and <laughs> all kinds, of, you know, everything in between pickleball, you name it, ba- baseball. It's, uh, we are the largest uh, amateur softball tournament for people over 50 in, in the country. It's amazing. So um, registration is still open for the senior games, seniorgames.net. Um, registration is open for the next pageant for Miss Senior Universe and Miss Senior USA. So that's MissSeniorUniverse.org. So uh, I encourage anybody who's interested to log on, take a look around and see what you think and um, reach out to us if you have questions. I'd be happy to um, answer any questions. All right. I'm just writing that down so I can put it in the show notes later. Okay, great. So just a personal question for you. What gives you the most happiness and fulfillment in your life at this point? Oh gosh, that's easy. It's always, and this is going to sound very, very trite, but it's always um, being of service to other people. Um, I, I think certainly that was what um, the connection initially was with the senior games, which was to be a part of putting on the games and, and helping everybody have a really positive experience. And I've, I've been a volunteer for many, many, many years since before we moved here. And, you know, 
that's a great, great way to make friends and get in, involved into a community. Um, volunteers are typically pretty nice people. And so when you connect with that, with that community, you have an ingrown or ingrown, a ready-made um, group of uh, contacts and people to go do things with who are, you share similar interests and they're really typically very, very nice and fun to be with. That is how Doug and I got involved in St. George and we have, um, Oh my gosh, a huge, huge, huge circle of friends and we're involved in all kinds of activities here. So um, that really all came through volunteerism and there is nothing that makes me happier than seeing a whole lot of people be happy and enjoying themselves and knowing that I was in the background somewhere making that happen and um, making a contribution that just feeds my soul. Thank you. And thanks for being on the podcast today and for sharing your stories and your wisdom. <laughs> I don't know about wisdom, but I, I will talk nonstop. <laughs> Certainly. Um, well, thank you so much. And I have one last question. Yes. What is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? My best advice on living an incredible, amazing life, I think, is really to uh, embrace what's possible. Get, get out of your own way. You know, we're all our own worst enemies, our own worst critics. And we, you know, we listen to those voices that say, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. Or you shouldn't be doing that. Or, or you're too old. Or you're too this. Or you're too that. Just, you know, try and make those voices go away. And, and really think about the idea that it doesn't matter where you've been. You know, it, it's all about what's in front of you. And sure, the majority of my years, my years are behind me now, but I really believe that the best ones are still ahead of me, even though they may be fewer than the ones that are behind me. That was all just practice for where I am now. And if you think about um, every tomorrow as being amazing when you wake up and, and what's possible, oh my gosh, anything is, everything can come your way. It, it, I certainly believe that's the way my life has been this, this last decade or so, last 20 years, certainly. And I think that the next 20 years are going to be even better. Okay, well, thank you so much, Marianne. Thank you, Dr. Leonard. This has been such a joy. I've had such a blast talking with you. Thank you. And we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, much success to you. Mm -hmm.